Yeah, kid. Welcome, welcome, everybody, back to another episode of the Handsome Home Buyer Podcast. My name is Charles, aka the Handsome Home Buyer, aka Captain Permit, a aka. Yeah, bro, you are getting better by the day. I think my Spanish flavor is rubbing off on you, and in turn, you're developing more flavor. Do you know who else has a shit ton of flavor? No, remind Wait, hold me. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Who? Who? Captain Perfect. Damn right, Captain Perfect. 516-513-8838. If you need plans, if you need permits, if you need anything permit-related, we are out there crushing it in the townships all day, every day. We just hired a new hire out there. Bridget, we love you! It's good to be loved. If you have any kind of permit problem, and Lord knows the townships are an absolute disaster here on Long Island. We got you from tip to tip. And why I mean is Elmont to Montauk and everything between legalizations, interior alterations, new construction, commercial, anything permit related. We got you. North Hempstead, Town of Hempstead, Brookhaven, you name it. We got the best looking staff in the business. 516-513-8838. Obviously, I'm the handsome home buyer. If you have a house that smells like cat pee, Six inches of mold on the wall, human waste floating past the basement steps, land, commercial property. If God created and it can't be moved, I'm quick, I'm easy. Lord knows I'm a good time, right, Levy? Yeah. I want to buy it. 516-777. Sold. All right. So we have a, I have very high hopes for today's guests. I was actually looking to increase my direct mail capabilities because I have zero direct mail capabilities. And I'm like, who, who is going to teach me how to do this? So what do you do? You go to YouTube and click it and, and type in, how do I do direct mail? And she pops up and she's teaching me how to do direct mail on YouTube. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. I got to find her on Instagram. I got to reach out to her. I got to be like, how can you teach me how to do direct mail? Because I absolutely suck at it. And I'm trying to flip a disrespectfully intense number of houses on Long Island and uh, all of a sudden we're on a podcast. So I don't know much about her. We just got this tech thing worked out about 30 seconds ago. So we're going to learn all about her. She's a West Coaster. She is a mom. She is a flipper. She's a wholesaler. She's a coach. She's a podcast coach. Wholesaling Net, Wholesaling Inc.'s own Lauren Hardy. What's Bam! <laughs> did you hear any of that intro or not? I did. Oh, I, Oh, yeah. I heard it. Have you ever gotten an intro that went anything like that? No, no, I haven't. And I got to say, I'm obsessed with your Long Island accent. Oh, it's, it's, it's bad, right? It's, it's, it's heavy. It's so good. I think that we should do today's live and I'm going to have a Long Island accent and you're going to have uh, a California girl accent. So I lived in California for a very short period of time, actually. Okay. I lived in Mission Beach, San Diego. Oh, okay. That's awesome. I, I absolutely loved it. Um, at the time, it was right. I was 21 years old. It was during my holy shit. I graduated from college. I'm running away from home because I have to grow up phase. Mm -hmm. And um, it was right after the dot com bubble burst and I could not get a job. Oh, yeah. That sucks. So I went <laughs> back to New York and it's 37 degrees here. And how, what is it like by you? Oh, I, it's probably like in the 70s, 75 right now. It's actually a hot day. It's warmer. I'll, uh, I'm definitely going to take your accent. Like, there's nothing hot about my nasally Jewish coffee talk thing. It's so great, though. I love it. And you know what? I was born in Brooklyn, so I get yeah. a little bit of that. So it's like Brooklyn meets Long Island coffee water. It's, it's yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, do, what, do, what does, like, a Southern California girl sound like? I have, 
I have absolutely, I, I can't even attempt to take a statement. I feel like we just have no accent. Like it's like just no culture. <laughs> um, no, you have, you have, you have a little bit of it. I mean, it's not super distinct. It's not like New York or it's not like down South, East coast yeah. or Midwest. It's kind of like you're a chameleon. You could be anything you want to be. Yeah. I feel that way too. What nationality are you? I'm half Persian. Uh, okay. So my mom was from Iran. And then my dad is just like a normal Caucasian guy with a mix of everything. Wait, um, so, you're, so you're Jewish? No, I'm not. There's no, not every Persian is a, is Jewish. <laughs> every Persian in New York is Jewish. <laughs> There's a lot of Persian Jews. There are. Wow. I'm like, I'm, I, I'm like, I'm Jewish. I'm like, I knew this felt right. I knew this made sense. Yeah. No, my, yeah, no, it's no, my mom. Um, you know, honestly, my mom, like, didn't really grow up with religion. She's not Muslim either. Um, and then my dad's like an atheist. So, hmm. yeah. <laughs> well, my mom's 100% Sicilian and my father's Russian and Polish. Yeah. I, um, so she converted. So I am Jewish. I had the bat mitzvah and all that stuff back in the day. That's but fun. I'm not very religious either. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I've been, I've been following you ever since I found you on YouTube. And um, you're crushing it. And I am very, very envious of the way you appear. And I would love to dig into this. Um, you seem to run your business from like a totally, it's doing its own thing. You get to really enjoy your life. Unlike me who sleeps like six hours a day and is dealing with constant pandemonium. Right. Um, so before that, if you could just kind of give everybody a brief kind of background about like who you are, where you came from, and then ultimately what you do now, and then we'll, we'll dive into it. So my name is Lauren Hardy, and I live in Orange County, California. It's a super high price market. Um, if you guys are, those who are listening, are into like wholesaling in the traditional like contract assignment sense, it's pretty competitive and difficult to do it here because of the price point. Um, average house prices in my area are like 800000 so pretty up there. Very difficult to convince a seller to take a discount on their home when there is so much motivation from buyers to buy <laughs> in California. So it's kind of, it's been a constant buyer's market for a very long time here. I started eight years ago. Um, I'm a mom of two kids. So I actually started when my youngest was one years old and I was pregnant with my second. I had a full-time job. Um, I worked just in corporate real estate, worked full-time, you know, the eight to five grind. Kids were, a kid was in daycare all day long. Um, and I knew something needed to change. Uh, my ex-husband had the full-time job as well, corporate life. Like my kid never saw her parents. And I had to find a way to be home. Um, so I didn't care what it was. And I, it really wasn't financial motivation for me. It really was time freedom. Yeah. Um, I just wanted, the goal I had was I wanted to be, I wanted to know what it felt like to take my kid to the park at 10 o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday. Yeah. And I stumbled into house flipping. At that time, it was 2011. So there was a lot of seller distress at that time because we were still in the throes of the recession. So it was actually pretty doable to find deals in Orange County or the surrounding counties like L.A. Inland Empire, we call it here. Um, still pretty easy to find a flip deal with with good, safe margins at that time. And all I had to do was some direct mail. I didn't have to do a lot of direct mail either. That was still a space that wasn't really saturated. 
So for the first four years of my career, I flipped houses. I wholesaled a little bit as well, um, all local, all Southern California. It was um, between OC, LA, and the Inland Empire, which is Riverside County and San Bernardino County. Um, traditional flipping HGTV kind of stuff, right? Uh, once it hit about 2015, I noticed a lot more people getting into direct mail, which was like, that was the one way I was getting deals. I had one trick. I was a one trick pony. And um, not only that, prices were going up and it was getting very difficult to convince sellers to take discounts on their home when they really didn't need to. And I still looked around at the friends I had that were all over the country. I made tons of friends through seminars and meetups. You know how this industry is, right? You start meeting people all over the country. Well, I was going to ask you because I, I'm kind of like alone on my own little island. I've never been to you know those seminars and those those big yeah. events that they have. Um, I mentored with somebody for three to four years before I ever did a deal. So I was curious to know. I mean, you've grown a lot in a very short period of time. What type of education? Did you have any formal real estate training or you just, you just won it? I start, yeah. Okay. I skipped that. Okay. The way I fell into flipping was my brother did it. He had, he got started, I think maybe a year or two before I did, maybe two years. He'd yeah. flipped maybe a handful of homes. Okay. And I was just complaining one day at a barbecue. I was like, I have got to find a way to stay home with Reese like this. I've got to figure it out. And I don't care what it is. I need to figure it out. And my brother was like, well, you should just do what I do. I was like, you know, like, what do you do? Like, I had no idea really like how, like, I didn't, I was just was not that interested, which is weird because I was in real estate, like, but I was in commercial real estate. So like my, I was more interested in commercial deals. What did you do in commercial real estate? Um, so I got started in a commercial real estate brokerage, like leasing and sales of um, retail, industrial properties, that sort of thing. Then it led me into, um, I got on the tenant side and I worked in franchise development for Subway restaurants in Orange okay. County. That was actually really cool. I got to, we got to open up like Subways. So like you were, were you scouting sites? Yeah. For them? Okay. Yep. And then negotiating the leases and then selling the franchises. I would like do like franchise sales seminars and stuff like that. It was cool. Do you do stuff like that now on the investing side? Like since you have, you know, subway knowledge or you understand the way those big triple net tenants work, do you, do you ever think about scouting commercial properties to, to put them in? I, I mean, I don't, I, I mean, that'd be an awesome niche, but I don't do that right now. But I do know a lot about what makes a successful location because subway had it dialed. Like it was, I yeah. got really good formal training from them. It's an amazing opportunity. And I was really young. I was only like 22 when I got that job, 22, 23, something like that. So it was cool. But so that's like where I started. And just anyway, we're at this barbecue. Dustin's like, you should just flip houses. Like, honestly, you probably only have to flip like two houses a year and you make more money than you do now with your salary. And like, you could do it while you're home with Reese. I was like, okay, cool. Sign me up. So like what he did is he gave me access. Now this is when education used to come on CDs. It, there was like no such thing as like Kajabi or Rizuku platforms. Okay. It used to come on CDs and he gave me this really funny CD called, Go it was called don't get voted off the real estate Island. And I mean, it was a pun on survivor. If you guys okay. ever watched the show and it was from Mike Cantu and, um, it was, um, Oh shoot. Hold on. I need to plug my computer. Before I get <laughs> Sorry guys. Her computer's about to die. Before. 
Okay, hold on. Before I, before I'll, entertain, I, I'll entertain in the meantime. Yeah, yeah. You go ahead and do a little DM. And uh, let me get my computer plugged in. Okay. All right, cool. We're good. Okay, so this guy's name, he was so he was old school. He's so cool. I'm trying to actually locate him to for my podcast. I'm trying so hard to locate this guy. Um like I, I like he's just like one of those, you know, you're like the first, like he doesn't know this, he doesn't know who I am, right? But like just like that first piece of like, you know, when you like first got into like self-development. You know, like you weren't yeah. in self-development when you were 16. Maybe you were. I don't know. No, but like, no. no, you know, it was like it just took like one book or something. Yeah. Right. And then that was like it dumped you into the rabbit hole of like self-development. And now like you're forever changed. Right. You're always, you know, your audible playlist is like always being updated with like the newest like Tony Robbins book or yeah. Keith Cunningham or, you know, right. Yes. So Mike Cantu was like the first, that was the first, you know, piece of self-development content I've ever listened to. And so it was in CDs. It was a course. And I just popped it on my morning commute. I pop in my car and I listen to it. He went through everything about house flipping and wholesaling. He had the exact model that I emulated. I, I, mean, I did everything it, that Mike said to do and how I made my like business exactly like Mike's. So he would wholesale the ones he didn't really care for, flip the ones he did. And um, he did it all in that. Actually, he was in the same markets as I was. So, um, and he did it with direct mail. He was all direct mail. So I just did direct mail. I sent um, postcards and letters and different things. And yeah, so that's how I got started. It was just with that course. Wow. So you you listened to a course on CDs yeah. and then just just did it. So Right. But I did first, I should mention the first two flips, I did it with my brother. So he said, you find the deal. I'll find the money. I'll find, you know, I'll, I'll manage the, everything and I'll teach you like along the way. So exactly. I had to do the acquisitions. I made, you know, sent the direct mail, made a bun- bunch of offers and all that, you know, until I got like a deal. Um, and then he helped me do the flipping. We did my first two flips together. Um, and the one thing too, like notable, I did not have any money. Like I didn't even have money for a marketing budget. So I opened up a capital one credit card and the most I can get on the limit was (laughs) $11,000. So like I literally had no budget. I just had a credit card and I put everything on that credit card, like the direct mail costs and everything. I was going to say like, you know, delve into a little bit how it started because people always hit me up and they're like, Charles, I want to do what you do. But they always, there's two real main excuses. Usually the one is I don't have the money. And I always tell people, listen, money is the easiest part of investing. If you have an opportunity and you know what you're doing, you have a comprehensive team, you're going to have more money than you know what to do with. Um, And the second is obviously deal flow. And what's the jumping off point? Like, how do I get started is Mm -hmm. I hear the most. And I, as a coach, I see there's like different types of people. We call them avatars, like in marketing. I don't know if you ever heard the term avatar. Yeah. Yeah. And like, there's different types of newbies, different avatars. There's the ones like me, I'm a driver. I go, you tell me something, I'll do it without even thinking. That's all, it can be a problem sometimes. (laughs) Because I do have, I do pay a dumb tax for that. I pay a dumb tax. No. I, I do throw shit on the wall. And it doesn't always stick, but um, a lot of the stuff I do works out. What was that? But that's part of the process. Right. But then there's the analyticals 
and you, you know, that's, those are the people that get start like really stuck on all the processes. So like they would have listened to Mike Cantu's course written down every thing Mike said, and then yeah. challenged everything Mike said. Yes. Oh, should I really use this direct mail service? Well, mm, you know what? I think letters are dumb. So yeah. I'm going to do something else, you yeah. know, because I know better and, you know, like, and it's really just excuses so they don't have to get started. Yeah. No, that makes sense. <laughs> or it's, I, I call it paralysis by analysis. I have, right. I have a lot of friends that are like that. And they're like, before I get started, it has to be absolutely perfect. Mm-hmm. But in actuality, it's never perfect. It's always an evolving thing. Um, oh, for sure. But I think that analysis paralysis is also procrastination. Like I, I do feel like there's some people that it, it they literally will use it to procrastinate. And I'm like, do you just not want to do it because you're scared? And it's like, we're getting so deep, right? Into psychology, but like, really? I'm like, it's fear <laughs> that's behind well, that, you know? So let me ask you this. As a coach, do you call people out on their bullshit? Like, do you, do you say that to them? That's all awesome. the time. I know the bullshit. I know every, I, I know as they're talking, I go, okay, I know what's going on here. And it's always fear. It's always when it really, when it's analysis paralysis, there's still yeah. like fear. Like they're scared that they might waste money. They're scared they're going to get sued. Yeah. They're scared they're going to like, you know. So then I asked them, I'm like, can you bring me your fear instead? Like, let's talk about what you're actually afraid of. And then I'm going to tell you a story of when that <laughs> happened to me. Like, I will tell them the story of it. that happened to me because it always did. There's always something that they're afraid of that did. I got sued. I got, I've got sued. I've got yelled at by sellers. I've had sellers threaten to, you know, sue me for cold calling them. I've got threatened, like threatened to get murdered if I send them another postcard. Like, so I tell them the story of like how that happened to me. Mm-hmm. And then I go, but look at me now. Like I'm happy. I haven't been murdered. <laughs> like I'm still alive. I'm still alive. Like, you know, like in that lawsuit, I won. <laughs> like, you know, so it's fun. <laughs> so how did, so you did two projects with your brother. Yeah. And then you were, you're often on your own. So you're out there marketing. You're still only utilizing direct mail at that point. Right. And what happened? You just, so it started feeling like it was like I was dancing still, but the music was stopping. (laughs) Like, so like I was still sending a ton of direct mail, but instead of having to talk to like maybe 30 sellers or 40 sellers to get one deal, it was turning into like a hundred sellers. Okay. 150 sellers. But that makes sense. It's part so of it was like it was starting to it was starting to cost a lot of money in direct mail and I kept paying those bills going, "Okay, you know what? Next week will be better." Like next week. Like I'll get a deal next week, you know, and it started getting where the deal volume started shrinking, but the marketing costs were staying the same. So then I kept pumping more into marketing, but the deal volumes that there, it's just still was costing more to get a deal, like way more. And then I, you know, I noticed as well, my margins were getting smaller. Like I had to make more competitive offers. Like, so instead I used to be like, oh, I want a 15% cash on cash return on my flips at least minimum. And then it was like, okay, fine. 10, 10, fine. Eight. Okay. All right. We're going to eight now. So now 8%. 
but yet it's costing me more to get that deal. Do you see it? It was a little math equation that was not working out for me. So I had to do something different. And it was kind of scary, but I was like, I got to find a way to do this in a different market. And so this is only as a result of the increased competition within your market. Yeah. In key, it wasn't just increased a competition with investors. I'm now convi- I'm now competing with homeowners that just want to live here because now it's turned into a seller's market. See, so, oh no, I'm sorry. Keep going. Yeah, that's basically it. It's a seller's market in California. Like I'm competing. I mean, just saying I'll offer you all cash and I'll close in 14 days and I'll buy it as is is not really that enticing to the seller because the seller's like, well, you know what? Like, I'll just put it on the MLS and I'll get like a Chinese buyer who's going to offer all cash and they're still going to buy it as is and they're going to pay me market price. <laughs> let me um, let me ask you a question because I don't I don't know California law and how it works. What is your like what is your foreclosure process like? Because in New York, someone could not put like my record on a short sale is the person hadn't paid their mortgage in 19 years. So how, so because of that, there, there's certain opportunities. New York is extremely competitive. Long Island, unbelievably competitive. You guys have different laws too, I think on even wholesaling, right? It's crazy. You have to close with cash and like, it's, it's way harder. There's a barrier to entry in New York that you're not getting as many investor competition because there's a barrier to entry. You're not getting just like the kind of newbie people that are shoving a bunch of direct mail. Like, you know, cause they know like in California, you don't have to close. Like it, it, there's not as much of a barrier to entry where I'm at be- because like, because of um, like legislation. That makes sense. I never thought of it like that. I mean, New York has a tremendous amount of competition plus Long Island where I am. It's completely built out. So right. there's, there's no land. I don't know. Is, is it like that by you? Oh yeah. No, we have very similar markets. Okay. You, the only difference that I am aware of in New York, because I have students in New York is that there's a barrier to entry because I believe, and I I could be getting this wrong, but don't you have to close on the houses? It's a little trickier to wholesale for some reason. And it's an attorney state and like, so you, so you can't, you can't wholesale and it's, it's, there's no issues with wholesaling. Okay. The attorney states, the attorneys are involved, but you wholesale one of two ways in, in New York and everything is wholesalable regardless. So you can either do the contract assignment, right? A, a normal contract assignment, or you would open a new entity. Like you'd open a fresh LLC with no tax ID number. And essentially you would sell the membership interest in the LLC to the person that was going to be buying it. And that's the way you would go about wholesaling. So mm-hmm. there's, there's a fee associated with just, opening the LLC, which isn't really wow. expensive. It's a few hundred dollars, but the ultimate end purchaser would publish the LLC and then get a tax ID number. But mm-hmm. that's the way that you can, you know, if let's say you have a seller who's gotten screwed over by a bunch of other supposed cash buyers and they're like, we don't want an assignment clause in here. We want you to close in 30 days or less, whatever. That's what you could do. Right. And then don't you guys have to put an EMD down? What's in like, do you have earnest money deposit? Don't you guys have rules about earnest money deposits too? Somebody to mention that. It's not earnest money. Like you put deposits down. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. So typically like, so let's say, and it's all what you can negotiate and obviously depends on how strong the attorney is on the seller side. So for me, if I'm buying a house, let's say I'll make up a number, right? Like I'm buying a house for $350,000. I, I would put $10,000 down, but I'm buying it. I don't, I don't wholesale anything. I take down everything. 
Did you have to put that 10,000 down? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So you can, right. yeah, you, like I've heard stories about other parts of the country where mm-hmm. you could put down like a thousand dollars. Nothing. I put nothing. Oh yeah. No, that doesn't. Nothing. Yeah. So do you know what I mean? How many, so like how many people have $10,000 they can put down, you know, and do volume like that? So it's hard. Here's the thing that I don't understand about, well, I guess maybe, are you not in the California market anymore? Not right now. Okay. Doesn't interest me. My, my question would be if you're in a extremely competitive market and you're not willing to put down a deposit at all, wouldn't the seller just go to the next investor? I still have a valid contract. I could sue them. Wow. With no money down. And they agree to that. Mm-hmm. And that's just the way it's done. Yeah. You can sue anybody for anything in California. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's everywhere in the country. Yeah. We can sue them for promissory estoppel because they promised to sell the house that would lock up the home. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So, but I'm curious to know, what is the foreclosure process in, in California? Like, how long does it take? If someone starts paying their mortgage, how long before that house is gone? Um, honestly, I don't work foreclosures. There's not, we have a very low trustee sale rate right now. The guys that used to go to the trustee sales, they said, they'll just give you like an idea. Like after the recession, you could go to a trustee sale and from like eight in the morning to five o'clock at night and at any courthouse auctioning off homes. I mean, like if, if anybody who just wanted to buy a house for 50% off could like go and this was like in California, in my Southern California market. This is like, say, 2009, like 10, 11, right? When I, and I first got in 2011, okay? So it was easier. Okay. And then it started shrinking up because it became a seller's market. Now, invest, I don't know any investor who works trustee sales right now. But- like, it's almost not even worth it. And then now they just passed a law. There's a new trustee sale law. Okay. Like, I don't know the, the full details, but essentially it, there's like a, I forget what the term is where like the person could buy the house back. Oh uh, yeah. Um, I'm drawing a blank. I forget I the term. They have it for property tax. Uh, yes. Foreclosures here yes. Too. Um, um, so they just did that in California. So now like investors are really not incentivized to work the trustee sales, but um, it's, I want to say you get like a notice of default after maybe 30 or 60 days. And then you have like another like, 30 or 60 days you get foreclosed on. It's actually pretty, it's pretty quick. Wow. Yeah. So in New York, it's- And you just file paperwork. It's actually not like that difficult. Wow. So banks can literally, like if you're not paying your mortgage in California, in like a year, your house is gone. The banks- Oh yeah. I probably, honestly, six months, but most banks aren't that quick to do anything. Wow. Right. Have you ever, or do you know anybody that's ever done a short sale in California? They're not really popular right now. Um, because like banks don't need to give you that, but they were popular in the recession because we were in a buyer's market. And so banks kind of needed to get any money they could. Otherwise, like the house would get foreclosed on and it would be like 50% off instead of taking, you know, 70% or something. So they're right now not very popular because we are just in su- the houses are in such high demand here. I mean, we are like there's a shortage of inventory here. Even with the um, even with the court system being closed and them not doing foreclosures, you, the banks aren't incentivized at all to try to make deals. They'll just have- sellers don't really need to foreclose on their homes right now. They just need to list their house on the market with a realtor and sell it in three weeks. 
Wow. Like they could sell, I mean, the houses here, first of all, homes here are not that old. So they don't have that much in repairs. Like the repairs are negligible. Um, there's not a lot of like foundation, like where it's like, oh, you can't sell this home because like there's just so much work going on. Whereas in other parts of the country, like that I see, like there's just way more work you know, that needs to be done on those homes. Um, but no, sellers are just not that desperate here. Like they could just, and honestly, like when I was working the California market, it started feeling predatory to, to offer a seller that low of a price. When I knew that they could just list their home on the market with a realtor and sell it in a couple of weeks. Now yeah. listen, and I'm going to get flack for this. There's always like two internet trolls that like are, take it to me and argue it. <laughs> so funny. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, there's, there are people that still flip houses here. They're willing to spend the money to get the deal. They're willing to do that. They like this cutthroat. Like they like to have sellers that just negotiate the hell out of you. Like they like it. That's fine. <laughs> I work, I, I know like the HGTV, like Tarek El Musa, his, fan, uh, his, his team who sources properties for the homes that they put on that show. They're very like in tune with LAOC because they need like those homes for production. Yeah. They spend so much on AdWords like to get like, they spend so like good for you. If you feel, if you guys are one of those guys that you want to do that, like I didn't want to work that hard. Like I didn't, I didn't want to have a marketing, um, budget, you know, that's five or not mine is five figures, like six figures, like a month. Like, I don't want a six figure marketing budget, like that I have to make, you know, deal with, like, I didn't want to deal with that kind of life. Um, but there are some people that still flip homes in Southern California. Like I did get in this like little, like somebody was like arguing with me when I was like, just saying like, I'm sorry, I don't want to work California. Like you, it's like, I just don't, I have reasons why I chose out of state markets. It's easier. It's just easier. And I know because I did both. This guy has only done California, not doing out of state market. And he starts arguing with me. And then I look and he's like buying houses in like the high desert. I'm like, that's not, that's not the same market we're talking about, bro. That average house price in that area is 200,000, not the same market. There's, there's always at least one like international. Oh, yeah. I will always get some. But so yeah, you can work Southern California, have fun doing that. If you feel like it, like if you really love like hardcore negotiating with sellers and spending a lot on your marketing budget and talking to 150 sellers to get one deal and yeah, you're elephant hunting. You are elephant hunting. You get the one elephant, you're stoked, you know, but it's kind of feast or famine. Like you kind of go a while. Whereas for me, like I am squirrel hunting. I have a nice, you know, like consistent, like every week I know I'm going to get a couple checks in the mail, you know, and it's consistent and it's nice. And you know what, when you slice and dice it, I'm pretty sure we probably, it probably ends up the same way. But for me, I like that peace of mind of like consistency. Um, elephant hunting, not my jam. Just psychologically, I don't like it. I think very important thing that you said, though, is you if I and I don't want to misquote you. Did you say you have a, a five figure per month marketing budget? Oh, yeah. Okay. Cool. Easy. Yeah. So people <laughs> all the time. They're like, how do I get deals? How do I get deals? And I make all kinds of videos. I'm like, this is what you do. There's no magic potion. There's no deal tree in my backyard. Mm -hmm. You have to invest in your business. It's a process build a comprehensive marketing strategy, take three of those things, do them, add on, et cetera. But you have to invest in your business. Yeah. And you're spending five figures a month. Mm -hmm. Like that's 
So what I'm what I'm trying to get across to the point that people that are going to listen to this is you have to invest in your business. You need a plan. You have to spend money to make money. And at the beginning, and I'd love to hear your feedback on this. You used to touched on it before. It wasn't con- it, it wasn't converting as well as and it was changing. It started converting really well. Then it wasn't converting well. Then you had no. to change. It never ends. The process of honing it never ends. No. No. And honestly, like I'm not saying I'm done with California. Like if COVID blows us up, like, which we're all kind of wondering at this point, like what is next year going to look like if there are, you know, if there is seller distress and there's trustee sales again, and there's, you know, sellers that are willing to take, you know, a discount on their home, you know, to avoid, you know, X, Y, Z, right? Like, I'll come back to California. I will. I can't wait. I would love to get back into flipping houses again because I love doing that. It's great. It was fun. Talk to me about the transition of the moment where you're just like, I'm out of here to setting up shop in, in a totally different, like, where are you, where are you currently doing deals now? So I am in the Midwest. Um, I, so the transition is, is, it was a lot of ups and downs. Um, so I didn't know what I was doing. Like I didn't know anyone who was doing this. Um, I literally just had to sit with myself and go, okay, like what, what am I going to do? Because California, like I'm, I'm scared, you know, cause the way things are going next year could be even drier, you know, next year could cost even more in marketing to get a deal. So I need to figure something out. And I looked around, I was at a seminar And I looked at all these different people. One was in San Antonio. One was in Pittsburgh. These like lower price point markets that are still like large metro areas. And they're not having the same problems I'm having. And so I thought, well, you know, like maybe I just need to go to one of these markets. I need to figure out how to make that work. How do I make an out-of-state market work? And then I thought about it. I go, well, think about it. Like, when I talk to sellers, I'm making offers over the phone anyway, because California, the traffic is horrendous. So I wasn't going, I had stopped going on seller meetings like a long time ago at that point, because the, the traffic is crazy in California. Like a seller meeting would take four hours out of my day. And if you had to talk to a hundred, 150 sellers to get a deal, right? Like wow. it didn't make, it didn't make sense. So I would price homes out, you know, virtually I'd look at comps, I'd give them like a price. And if the seller was like, all right, we're good. Like I, I, you know, like where the seller kind of gave me that feeling like, yeah, if you come here, like I'll sign the contract, then I would get in my car. So I thought about it. I go, well, why couldn't you do this in Nashville, Tennessee or something? Now the first market I chose literally was like the, no thought at all. I did not think about it at all. I was just like, where would be a cool place to visit Nashville? Like that's what I did. And, um, so the first, the first like virtual venture I participated in was I got into new home development because that was just what you did in Nashville. Um, people were buying lots or they were buying these older homes, scraping them and building as many units as you could in that lot space. So I started with that, which that's a whole long tangent I could get into on how the heck I got started into that, but it was cool. So I built new homes, got like, you know, I got my developer badge, you know, Wait, and you, then, were, you were building new houses in Tennessee yeah. from your kitchen table in California. Yeah. That was my first virtual venture. And it was just myself. Like I didn't have any partners or anything. Wow. Yeah. It was actually easier than flipping houses. Weirdly enough. Like I was like, wow, I'm actually shocked at how easy this is. 
New construction is definitely, I do, I do both. New construction is definitely easier to do than, than flipping. It but is. Just from the standpoint of you, and you never went out there ever, like ever. I went out there more, like I probably didn't really need to, but I did go out there like a few times. Like one time I went for my birthday, like, well, you know, like I went out there like the first time I was out there um, was, was that seminar. And that's actually how I fell into the development thing was because I, I um, ran into somebody on the side of the road and I was like, he was like a project manager. And I was like, why are there all these new houses here? Like, I was like, what's going on? I'm confused. Like, why are there so many new houses in this neighborhood? And he's like, do you not know like anything about Nashville? I was like, not really. It's my first time here. And then he just like showed me around. Like he showed me some of his projects because they happen to be all like in the same neighborhood. And then I was like, oh, so give me the numbers. He's telling me how much the lot costed and like how like, how much it costs to build and then how long. So this I just never happened in New York ever. I just did. Yeah. I just did the math in my head and I was like, Oh, that's cool. Find me a lot. I'm going to do that. You'll be my builder. Like nice to meet you. You know, I'm and, Lauren. And he started building the houses. Yeah. So he was my contractor and, wow. cause he, and I'd already seen his work. Cause he, I toured with him that day. Wow. So, yeah. And so then he hooked me up with a wholesaler and I bought those lots from a wholesaler. So that full circle, like that's how that started. Um, and then I decided to start wholesaling on the side in Nashville because I was like, well, people are buying lots. So then I started like identifying, looking for lots and wholesaling lots and wholesaling houses um, all around um, the Nashville, like metro, metro area, um, even outside of Nashville a little bit. So that's how like my first, so I got a little taste of everything. I did development. I tried flipping homes in Nashville, sucky idea. And then I wholesaled and I realized that when you're virtual, flipping is the easiest way to get taken advantage of by contractors. (laughs) So I was like, "Mm, not doing that again. Yeah. New development, actually not that hard. Yeah. Not as easy because like you kind of, there's a, there's a lot of the ways you can avoid getting screwed over. And then, um, the wholesaling was by far the easiest. I mean, you could do that from your desk. Like you don't have to get up, you know? So, um, I learned that wholesaling is the, the volume wholesaling model is really probably the best, easiest model when you have to be virtual. Wow. And so now your operation is totally virtual. And, right. and what, what kind of volume are you doing now? Um, we are doing probably, I have to look, we have 10 on the border trying to close. Like, so I got to look at like where by December, like I'm like 10, I have three weeks to close 10 deals. We're like, let's get there. So I think by the end of this year, we'll have between 65 and 75 deals. That's good. That's yeah, really and good. Just wholesales, you know, it's volume. Um, but it's good enough for me. You know, I'm a single mom. That's awesome. That- you know, it's like, it's cool. And it's, I, the best part is, um, I don't do very much like day to day. I watch your story and she's like, and you're saying, oh, I don't really do that much. Like I'm hanging out with my kids. I'm like getting an impromptu haircut. I'm going yeah. to the gym and I'm like, I, yeah. I am like drowning in craziness right. every day. I'm like, how does she do this? Yeah. Well, it's because I had, um, I had to. A lot of it, like when you go virtual, you can't do all the things. You can't go get in your car and go drive to a seller meeting because you know what? If you meet that seller, you're going to get the contract. You can't do that, right? But that would have taken you probably an hour and a half out of your day. So for every business task that I do, I do this very frequently. For every business task, 
if I can outsource it and it doesn't require me like immediately adding value, I outsource it. And so that's basically like, I just do that with everything. Like, you know, when it comes to like accounting work or just everything, everything. It's like, if I don't have to like now, even like personal stuff, like I'm like, you know, I don't want to do laundry anymore. Like I'm not doing, you know, I'm sick of doing laundry. Like, I am so sick of organizing my kids' rooms. Like they're seven and nine. I'm like, you know what? Like, like there's even my personal life. I'm like, mm, I'm doing too much of that. And then I just hire it out. So, so you and I are as, as opposites as opposites can be. So, yeah. and I don't know if it's, if it's personality, like I want to be you, like I, I want to do all that. But what happens to me is I start doing business and then I'm like, all right, I need this done. And then I go through like a million people who can't do it. And then I'm like, you know what? F this. I need to open my own construction company because I can't rely on these guys because they're an absolute nightmare. So then I have a construction company. Then we're buying a ton of rentals. I'm like, I can't get anybody to manage these properties, right? All of a sudden, I have an in-house property management company. I have a permit business with an architect and we're running permits because you have to, you need permits to do everything here. Yeah. Everything. Barrier to entry. Oh, I, I have my own cabinet company because yeah. we couldn't source the cabinets fast enough. It is pandemonium all the right. time. Well, and you have to ask yourself, like, are you making that much more money for because of all these things? And then also, like, I look at it like, you know, money is not everything. Like, what about just your life? You know, like being healthy and like, you know, just like having I because like I really do believe like um, what is that? There's this term. Um, it's like your internal thermostat um, hedonist principle. I think that or hedonist. Am I saying that right? <laughs> I mean, there is there is the hedonist. There's, yeah, it, hedonist. Yeah, hedonist principle. Yes, but I don't know. I think that's what it is, and it's like we're like no matter like how much more money or thing you got, like you got a new car, and you're all like happy at first, but everybody has this like internal thermostat of happiness that they always return back to. So like even if you like maybe like yeah like I make because I did this, I'm doing this thing myself and I'm doing it right. I'm making 3000 more dollars a month. Okay. And like, you're stoked for like the month of December and January. Cause like, you're like, Oh, with this $3,000, like I, I bought a Duffy boat. <laughs> I don't know. You know, and you're like, yeah. But then after a while you realize like, you don't even go on your Duffy boat that much. You could just rent a Duffy <laughs> boat for 200 bucks and like you would, so you would actually like be just like spending $200 like to rent a Duffy boat and like you lost, you know, you're losing now five hours a week out of your life. Yeah. Like, you know, so then you're like, is that like 3000 even worth it? And like, even that three, it's like, you're not even that happy anymore. Like once something's like, like a new car, right? You get a new car, you're stoked on it. And then after a while you're like, eh, like it's just, it's so point B, you know, for me personally, like a lot of people, you know, do what we do and they buy all kinds of stuff with, with right. cars, whatever. I, um, I have a, lead a very simple life. Like I always tell people I'm, I'm probably wearing like $30 worth of gap clothes right now. Yeah. I do not care about like materialistic things at all. For me, I like chaos and okay. I like, I like the challenge of it all. It's like, all right, we hit this. Like we did a hundred plus houses this year and like actually really did them. Can we, can we do 200 houses a year and say that like we were the best that ever did it in this area? Like what, what's the next goal? Like for me, my ultimate goal is to open a private equity fund. Cause I feel like that's the pinnacle of investing in, in my opinion. 
Right. So it's like, I always need that, that next higher level, that next challenge. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, and to some degree, like I'm, I know that I think like I'm the same way, but I think, I mean, do you have kids? I don't know. Okay. So like I have two kids, I'm a single mom and I look at them every day and I remember how I grew up, like both my parents worked and never saw like my parents, like I know, like, you know, really, I, it, it affected our relationship, you know, and our family dynamic. Cause like yeah. they were always working and I was just this latchkey kid, you know? And so like, I look at my kids every day, like I want to have a really good relationship with them. And I want them to be like, you know, really strong girls who have a lot of confidence. And part of that is like having like a like having someone that's a constant in their life yeah. that is like always giving them love and is always there. And like, you know, so like for me, I couldn't be like you because of that responsibility I have. And so you might change maybe when you start having children, if you chose to, like you might kind of go, oh, OK, I'm going to have to take on less because now I have to shift that focus on this, you know, these little beings. Right. So I think that's a lot of, a lot of it, but I do like time freedom. I do. I like being able to get my hair done in the middle of the day and I working out is really important to me. Uh, it's good for the mind. Good for my body. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I still have those big goals. I mean, like I still have all those things too, but I just, I don't like to take on all those things. It just stresses me out. Yeah, I guess it all depends on, and I agree with everything you're saying, which is why I don't have kids at this point, because I know that like, I know that I'm racing to get to this goal that I'm not that far away from. And if I don't achieve it, I'm, I'm going to be disappointed in myself. So I don't have kids at this point by design because I know what's involved in raising kids. You have to be selfless to raise yeah. children. It's, it's the most important job in the world. So yeah. it's all kind of set up by design at this point, but I, I think you're right. My only hope is, and I might be wrong because I might just be wired this way is when I get to that next level, you know, when you, when you're doing private equity, like that big and that scale, you can, you can be making an insane amount of money and, and be able to employ, you know, the best of the best people that can, that can run a lot of the operation, but maybe that's just me. Cause it sounds like, it seems like you are doing it in what you're doing right now. You have people, you're outsourcing everything. Yes. Yeah. And it, it's, as far as like private equity, similar goal I have, we're kind of gearing to take my business that direction. So like that's net, that's next year. Uh, but similar, I do have a similar goal. I just hired actually a CFO who has that experience. Nice. So I hired it out. Like, see, I was like, I'm not going to figure out how to do this. I hired someone who has already done it. Yeah. No, I, I have a, I have a CFO. Well, but like, it's, it's like, I haven't, you don't, you're totally virtual, right? You don't have an office. You're totally virtual. Totally virtual. I just have an office for myself. Okay. Um, podcast recording studio slash office for myself. And like, we meet up here, yeah. um, but I don't have like a big office cause it's expensive to where I'm from. It's an yeah. overhead cost. I don't need like, it's just too expensive, you know? Yeah, no, I, um, but I guess it'll, I guess kind of the, the conclusion or point of all this is the cool thing is everybody's personality is different. And then real estate is so awesome because it can be anything you want it to be. It can mm -hmm. be as big as you want it to be, it's small as you want it to be. It can, you know, get you out of your nine to five so you can spend time with your kids. It can help send your kids to college. It could be whatever you want it to be. 
Oh yeah. When I first got started in this business, um, to give you guys context in my head, I was making like a certain salary, but I was putting in my head, how much do I have to pay in childcare every month to work at that job to make that salary? And then I also like thought about the health insurance benefits, but then I was like, well, you know, Andrew, my ex-husband, um, he had insurance, right? It's so, like, I just, I did the math, you know, like how much, I needed to make in flips. I swear to God at this time, because I was actually, I was really young. I was like 24, I think. Um, it was. It ended up being, because childcare is so expensive in California, like $36,000 or something. Like I was like, all I have to make is $36,000 to be exactly how I would be if I worked this full-time job. That's how small I was looking. I was so small. Like I was like, okay, 36. So that's like, one to two flips like maybe let's set the goal of two flips a year so maybe i make a little more right and i mean never in a million years did i think i would be here eight years later i it's just that that, like you said your goals it's like every year you're like actually like like private equity forget about it i would have never thought about that that was something that i started thinking about like about maybe two years ago because i was selling to those guys and then i was like how do i be those guys but like, that's just how it evolved. Do you think I would have ever thought that? Like when I first got started? No, I just wanted to flip two houses a year. But that's, I mean, that's awesome. Little goals. That's where it starts. And once you, do it, you realize, oh, it's not that big of a deal. It's just, it's a bigger property. It's a couple more zeros at the end, whatever, yeah. whatever it is. It, you become desensitized to it. Oh yeah. There was this really good, I don't know if you've ever, do you follow Darren Hardy? No. Okay. I love him. Um, yeah, I'm not, no relation, but I, I just like him. He's a good, uh, you know, motivational speaker. And he like has this, like, he had this YouTube video about like picking bigger problems. Mm-hmm. So he was like, this person works in real estate. And it was just like this agent, like picture, right. And then they're like, this person works in real estate. And it was like Donald Trump, mm-hmm. you know, and there was like big buildings behind them, you know? And yeah. like, he just did a bunch of like people where it was like the small scale. And he was like, it's the same amount of work. These people have the same amount of hours in their day. They just chose bigger problems. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's very, it's very smart. It's very smart. I, um, I have one final question. I think, I think building a, I think building a successful business is very easy. That's just my personal opinion. What I think becomes difficult is scaling a business. So getting to a certain point, it's like, all right, cool. You could do it. Hard work, whatever determination. But getting to that next tier of automation and CRMs and everything that you're doing as far as virtual assistants, et cetera, that's the difficult part. So what advice would you give people out there who have an established business that are looking to scale? So scaling for me started from the first day I started my business because of the kids. So I had a scale. I went into this knowing scaling is what I had to do. Um, and it, it, I think you and I are like two different avatars, like we're just two different avatars. So that's why to me, scaling is easy, but building a business is hard. Okay. And then you're oh, building a business is easy. It's scaling. That's hard. So it's like, we're just two different people. Um, I think that like from, from where I got started, I always looked at, okay, write down all the tasks that you're doing right now. What are you not adding value really with you doing it? Like where, what are you adding value where it really needs to be you? And then what are you not adding value doing? And what do you hate doing the most? Like, what is just like the biggest thing that just a time suck that you just hate doing? Hire that out 
And I always say one task for one type of person. So don't like give your bookkeeper, for example, also lead management. Like, no, your bookkeeper is a bookkeeper. Hire a part-time bookkeeper that that's all they do is bookkeeping. Um, If you are looking for sales reps, which is like, that's usually a first in our business. Like most people, the first thing they really want to outsource, I think, is their lead generation or they're talking to the sellers on the phone and doing like lead management, like the qualifying calls from whatever marketing campaign, one of those, right? So lead generation is different than lead management. Like you hire one person to do lead generation and teach them everything, make Zoom videos and store them in a file. And so anytime you have to fire a person, you just give them a Dropbox link and go, this is your training. Like, and it's like, so you can hire slow, but fire quick, you know? So like, I just make every position very compartmentalized. Every position has like a Zoom training file, like, or a a training file with videos. And it really is just like, it's just like a game, like putting people in the right spots and making sure that like, they're doing a good job. One thing like I'm working on still I've not perfected this and I'll admit it is my like ROI on people and how to measure your ROI on people. So like in a very real time, so it's not two months before you realize that like an acquisitions manager isn't doing their job very well. Like I need to be able to figure that out in like five days. So I'm not perfect. Still working on that. Um, But yeah, I hope that helped. No, that was awesome. I uh, I really appreciate that. Great conversation. I learned a lot. I hope we get to uh, stay in touch in the future because uh, I definitely know I have a lot to learn from you. I hope I could share something that I know with you as well and help you in your market. If uh, if people are interested in coaching and following you and seeing what you're doing, how do they find you? How do they find you on Instagram, Facebook, et cetera? Yeah. So I'm Lauren Hardy on Facebook, but I'm not that active on it or I don't check it very often. I would say check me out on Instagram. I'm on that way more. Um, My handle is this mom flips. Um, If you're interested in the coaching program. So I coach through Wholesaling Inc. Um, I host their podcast. um, So if you check out Wholesaling Inc podcast, I think my episodes drop on Mondays. Um, And if you want to learn more about the coaching program, it's virtualinvestingmastery.com. Awesome. I am Charles Weinrub, a.k.a. The Handsome Home Buyer. You have a house that smells like cat pee, dated from the 1960s. You know I'm your guy. I want to buy it. 516-777-SOLD. And obviously, if you have a permit problem on Long Island, do not forget the man, the myth, the permit legend, Captain Permit. That's a wrap. Thanks, guys. 